O Lord, our Lord, we come from a race of rebels. We are no different than Adam. We would have eaten that fruit. We would have thrown you down if we could. We are not nice people with bad moments. We are sinful people with wicked hearts. We come to you denying none of our sin, but claiming all of Christ's righteousness. In him, we are part of the sinless race. In him, we didn't take the fruit. In him, we are at the right hand of your throne. It would be a sad world without Christ. It will be a dark world without Christ. Father, thank you for sending the light. For some of our people, it's been a good week. And they come to the text with smiles. For some of our people, it's been a painful week. And they come to the text with tears. But in either case, they are coming to your text Please meet your people in your word. This doesn't have to be a sermon they remember for the rest of their lives. But it has to be a sermon in which they meet with you. God, do what's impossible for my stammering lips and feeble words to do. Blow on this text and make it live. Make, make the text sweet to the people. I do find comfort in knowing I am not the only teacher of this text. The Holy Spirit teaches us this text. Help us to see Christ more clearly, love Him more deeply, follow Him more obediently, cling to Him more desperately, and proclaim Him more faithfully. And preaching to my people... Help me not to shoot this arrow above their heads, but shoot it straight to their hearts. Help this passage to give them saving faith, not merely temporary faith. I am not interested, Lord, in creating vague feelings in these people, rather vaulted perspective. That's a lot to ask but you are able to do abundantly above anything we think or ask. So do it, Lord, for your glory alone. This is our corporate plea. Amen. I bring you to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. I bring you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 27, the soul winner. Lest you have a negative connotation for that phrase, allow me to show you Paul's use of that language. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win 
those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people and by all means, that by all means I might save some. Five times he has a desire to win. Paul isn't striving to win bodies. He's striving to win souls. Five times he has a desire to win. One time he has a desire to save. Both words are synonyms in this case. Paul wants to save people. To save them from the place Jesus talked about all the time. Hell. He wants to save them from that destiny. The driving force and motivation behind Paul's church planting and evangelism is to win people to Christ and to save them from hell. In the next eight verses, Paul lays out his strategy for evangelism. He conducts an evangelism training seminar. This is how you do evangelism. There are four parts to this evangelism training. You need to make like a slave, verse 19. You need to make like a chameleon, verse 20 through 23. You need to make like a runner, verses 24 through 26a. You need to make like a boxer, verse 26b and 27. The soul winner is a slave. The soul winner is a chameleon. The soul winner is a runner. The soul winner is a boxer. Now, let's circle back around and find out how the soul winner is a slave. Verse 19 again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. The word translated servant here should be translated slave, doulos. There is a new Bible translation in English that translates doulos as slave each time, as it should be. I will not switch the church to that translation. I will simply complain each time ours gets it wrong. <laughs> Paul's become enslaved in order to win as many people as possible. He's a slave to all. He's free, but refuses to exercise his freedom in order to win others to Christ. His own preferences take a back seat to the preferences of those he's trying to reach. As a missionary to the Mediterranean world, he had to deal with many cultural standards. And he says, I gladly surrender my personal rights. I gladly give up my preferences. He's willing to modify his habits, his likings, his leanings, and his entire lifestyle. He was free, but made himself a slave. He volunteered for slavery. What incentive could be powerful enough to cause a man to do this? We could ask Paul. Or we could ask John and David. John 
David, what incentive could be powerful enough to cause a man to volunteer for slavery? It was the early 1700s when John Leonard Dobear, a potter, and David Nitschman, a carpenter, sat in church on an ordinary Sunday morning to hear a guest speaker. A former slave made a plea for missionaries to be sent to the West Indies. He told about an atheist British slave owner who had over 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa living on an island in the Atlantic working sugarcane fields. All of whom would live and die without ever hearing the gospel. The owner had said, no gospel preacher will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. This former slave on that Sunday morning told the congregation, no one can possibly reach those slaves unless... He first becomes a slave himself and was willing to work grueling hours on the plantation. Upon hearing this news, two young Germans in their 20s were deeply disturbed. They wanted to win those slaves, save those slaves. Their plan? Sell themselves into slavery. These men were not setting out on a cushy short-term mission trip. They left to go, live, and suffer as slaves with no promise of protection. Their family and friends, for the large part, were all against their decision. Yet they went. The story goes, as they packed their bags and went to the docks to board the ship, their family and friends were all there to say goodbye. The family knew they would never see them again, having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As the ship slipped away and the gap widened, the young men linked arms, raised their hands and shouted across the distance, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What incentive could be powerful enough to cause a man to volunteer for slavery? John Leonard DeBear, David Nitschman, and the Apostle Paul answer that they might win some for Christ. This is the heart of a soul winner. How far are you willing to go to see people saved? How far are you willing to go to see people saved? On a weekend where we celebrate independence I'm calling for slavery on a day where we boast about being free I'm calling for us to give up some freedoms Paul's goal in this evangelism training seminar was to, conv con to convince the Corinthian church to be willing to be enslaved to reach the lost around them there, there is an evangelistic imperative to win souls that gripped Paul and gripped these Moravians, I wonder, has it yet gripped us? How inconvenienced are you willing to be to win people to Christ? Non-Christian, 
We have many of you here today, as we do every Sunday. Non-Christian, we are willing to become slaves to get Christ before your eyes. Metaphorical slaves, willing to give up rights. And actual slaves, willing to give up total freedom. God has implanted in us a desire to get the gospel we've received to you. We have an insatiable desire for this. We've been recipients of grace, recipients of forgiveness of sins, and we long to get that to you. You see, 2,000 years ago when they killed Jesus Christ, when they stopped him, when they crucified our Lord, it was like trying to destroy a dandelion seed head by blowing on it. It just blew that message to Corinth. It blew that message to the West Indies. It blew that message to Oak Grove. We've been commanded to bring the gospel to you. And we will. The day is coming when evangelism will be considered a form of abuse. Just us sharing Christ will be us trying to exercise some power over you. Leave them alone, they will say. But we can't leave them alone. Jesus died to redeem some of them. By becoming a slave, the Apostle Paul and John Leonard DeBear and David Nitchman were all following in the footsteps of their Savior. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind in, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We are willing to become slaves to reach others because Christ became a slave to reach us. The soul winner is willing to become a slave. The soul winner is willing to become a chameleon. Notice verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul did not want to put obstacles in the way of Jewish people coming to Christ. Paul had no problem adopting the ways of the Jews when he was trying to reach them. He did Jewish things. He ate Jewish food. He resonated with Jewish questions. He entered into Jewish struggles. He wore Jewish clothes. He listened to Jewish music. He even asked his Jewish assistant, Timothy, to get circumcised so they could move more freely in Jewish territory and gain a hearing from the Jews. No need to unnecessarily offend them when we are trying to reach them. That is cultural adaptation. Food and related cultural issues should not be obstacles to evangelism. Paul adopted the customs of the people so long as those customs were not an assault on the gospel. 
He followed the Jew Jewish purification rites in Acts 21. He was still prepared to follow Jewish customs even though they were not necessary in Christ. Paul was free to eat a BLT. But eating filthy hog meat may shut the door to evangelism. So no pork for me. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Now let's clap for Paul. Why? He's willing to become a Jew in order to win Jews. Oh, wait. Paul is a Jew. How do you become a Jew? How do you become a Jew when you are a Jew? That's like me saying I became a North Carolina Tar Heel fan to reach North Carolina Tar Heel fans. Now, that sounds good, but I'm already one. I don't have to change anything. I, I became a white male in order to reach white males. I started to listen to country music and lost all rhythm. <laughs> Kyle, you're already white. You already don't have rhythm. It's like my wife saying, I became a Canadian to reach Canadians. I started saying A and drinking Tim Horton's coffee and watching hockey and talking about how all Americans are loud. These are things my wife already does. <laughs> ethnically, Paul was already a Jew. Why would someone who was ethnically a Jew have to become a Jew? Now, I like this, especially for this moment in our society. When Paul, the Jew, became a Christian, suddenly being Jew is no longer who he is at his deepest level. See how deeply Paul viewed being in Christ above his national heritage? It transcended cultural allegiances. He was so profoundly and pervasively redefined by his new identity in Christ that his Jewishness was not his truest, deepest identity anymore. Therefore, in order to win Jews, he had to become a Jew. John Piper says, and I quote, When you become a Christian... Your family roots, your tribal connections, your ethnicity and race, your nation of origin, all of them become secondary at most. And the real you is something supernaturally new, different, a new creation. End quote. Paul could play up or play down his Jewishness depending on what the needs of the gospel were at the moment. Now still referring to Jews, verse 20. To those under the law... I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those under the law, Paul became like one who was under the law. He, he respected their traditions. He followed their protocols and adapted to their community as much as possible. What he does not mean is that he is putting himself back under the law as a means of earning salvation. Paul would not return to honoring the sacrificial system that Christ had fulfilled. He respected their scruples regarding anything that may not hinder his message. When evangelizing Jewish people, he will flex and adapt and gladly adopt those old Jewish customs that were once so familiar to him so as to not give an offense and to win a hearing for the gospel. We are witnessing Paul's incredible personal adaptability and flexibility. 
Paul gladly flexes and bends to win others to Christ. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Uh, Parenthetical statement here. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. Paul doesn't mention the word Gentiles by name, but when he says those not under the law, he's referring to Gentiles. Paul divides humanity into two groups, Jew, Gentile. Both were vastly different. They had different aspirations, different hopes, different dreams. Paul says, I can reach both. By both, he means any man, any woman, any child on the face of the planet. Paul was focused on reaching all kinds of people, not just one type of person. He has enough flex to reach the Gentiles. He frequented places Gentiles frequented. While with them, he dressed in Gentile garb. He entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Stand in the skin of other people. Cultural and social separation from Gentile dogs was no longer a practice of Paul in his new life in Christ. Paul builds bridges instead of burning them. And Gentile cultural issues are neither here or there. They are no longer a biggie for Paul. Paul, who called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, would gladly become a Gentile of the Gentiles in order to win a hearing for the gospel of Christ. While evangelizing in Gentile territory, Paul did did not have his Gentile assistant, Titus, circumcised. So the Gentiles would would not think circumcision was a requirement for salvation and thus create an unnecessary stumbling block. So so even in reaching the Jews with Timothy and, and the Gentiles with Titus, he had them do different things. Paul may not parade his liberty before the the Jews, nor impose the law on the Gentiles. Do you see that? Paul did not parade his liberty before the Jews or impose the law on the Gentiles. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Paul is now under complete legal obligation to Jesus Christ. He he will move in any area as long as it does not bring reproach on the gospel. By mentioning the law of Christ, Paul is saying... I want you to get this straight. I don't want you to assume something inaccurate. When I say I'm not under the law, I I didn't cast off morality and live like a pagan. Do you see this? Paul's evangelism strategy, there is both flexibility and faithfulness. There's both flexibility and faithfulness. He flexed but remained faithful morally and theologically. I don't want you to get the idea that that I have no law. Paul's talk of the law of Christ here illustrates that his conscience is captive to the truth as it is in Jesus. Jesus dictates and governs both the message and the method. And by the way, who is the ultimate example of verse 20 and 21? 
Jesus Christ. Christ became what we are. He was made of what we are. Lived in our condition, in our skin, to reach us. How beautiful. The pre-existent Christ existed before he came in our skin. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Now, I don't think Paul is creating a new category of people. Jew, Gentile, then weak. He's speaking of weak people within both the Jew and Gentile clans. They say, well, when I picture weak, don't picture spaghetti-armed Jews or spaghetti-armed Gentiles so weak. That's not what Paul is referring to. He's talking about those who are easily offended. And there were some in both camps. When their customs and, and cultural nuances were not met, they were scandalized. Weakness is a motif used throughout the letter referring to various groups. Paul has previously dealt with this concept among Christians. Now he deals with this concept regarding non-Christians. Paul was himself adaptable to any stratum of society. To the hungry, he became bread. Verse 22b. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul changes his methods without changing his message. Now, of course, this does not mean for us, to the meth heads, I became a meth head. To the drunkards, I became a drunkard. To the sexually immoral, I became sexually immoral. To the Duke Blue Devil fans, I became a Duke Blue Devil fan. Paul would never flex to sin. As D.A. Carson says, this is not a license for unlimited flexibility. Sadly, some pastors misapply this text and encourage Christians to jump in something that is sinful under the guise of becoming Jew to Jew and Gentile to Gentile. It reminds me of one of my favorite articles written on preaching by Haddon Robinson who in it says, there is more heresy preached in application than interpretation. And that is definitely true of this text. Paul only flexes in matters that are not theologically essential or morally sinful. Paul made all the cultural adaptations to reach people. Each one was calculated for the maximum impact he became all things to all men to bring salvation to all. He's a cultural chameleon for the gospel. You want to eat kosher? I can do that. Bacon sandwich? Two, please. Teetotaler? I'm good with that. Paul tailors his approach to his particular audience. He enters the world of the slave, the free, the Jew, the Gentile, the city dweller, the country folk. He's willing to flex wide and adapt deeply. He says, become all things to all men. That sounds like no backbone. That sounds like a jellyfish. I don't, I don't like an evangelism strategy 
that sounds like that. That sounds like compromise. To flex and bend to win others to Christ is not a compromise. To flex and bend to win others to Christ is not a compromise. There is a biblical adaptability and flexibility. This is not saying reshape the gospel from culture to culture. Paul doesn't modify the gospel. It's a changeless gospel. The fundamental doctrines are non-negotiables. Paul is not a compromiser who adjusted his message to his audience. When he says to the Jew, I became a Jew, and to the Gentile, I became Gentile, he's not a flatterer masquerading as something he's not. He's not soft-peddling the gospel or or its ethical demands. There was a French revolutionary by the name of Alexander Auguste Ledru Roland who is reported to have said, There go my people. I must follow them, for I am their leader. That is not Paul's perspective. He doesn't simply try to identify what people want. One theologian points out, Paul's flexibility is not absolute. He doesn't simply study the culture, find out what the people want, what makes them tick, and then feed into that. Which, you don't know this, I guess you don't have to know this, but it's what many seminaries are teaching pastors to do now. Paul is not like many pastors in the States. He's not an unprincipled pragmatist. There are no slick methodologies here, no clever tricks, no watering down the gospel for a sense of greater response. A deluded gospel is no gospel at all. The proper application to this is not to allow some nonsense to happen in the corporate worship gathering. This does not mean that we design corporate worship for the non-Christian. That would be a heretical way to apply this text. Mark this passage down as one of the most important on gospel contextualization. One of the most important on gospel contextualization. In what ways do you need to become all things to all men? Some cultural traditions are indeed sinful. And these cannot be accepted. Not everything in a culture is neutral. Some are just sinful. To the sinful, we do not contextualize. Paul doesn't adopt the crude speech of the local fishermen. But he may be able to talk about fish. The contextualization that we find in this passage is what I call pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. It wasn't the gospel, but it laid the groundwork for the gospel. Church history is filled with people and churches that cease to be effective in reaching their cultures because they would not contextualize. On the flip side, church history is filled with people and churches that in their zeal to contextualize, compromise the gospel. One theologian put it like this, the church needs to have a healthy contextual approach that neither assimilates to the host culture 
nor underadapts from its home culture. Simplified, churches must have the agility to go in. We must have the agility to go in. Now let's bring this to the mission field. I did not take last week's passage to the mission field, but I could have. Paul was a missionary, and they were supporting missions through supporting him. I purposefully neglected that last week because I wanted to spend quite a bit of time on the mission field this week, which leads us to this truth. All missionaries must rightly contextualize. All missionaries must rightly contextualize. 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 Help me. You know, what, you know what I mean. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. This, this summarizes Paul's approach to missionary work. Hudson Taylor, after the formation of the China Inland Mission in 1866, retu- returned to Shanghai with the largest group of missionaries to date. And they created quite a stir when they landed because they resolved, based on the teaching of this text, to adopt Chinese customs, culture, and dress in a way that was actually quite scandalous amongst the European settlers in the city. Taylor dressed as a Chinaman and wore a pigtail. Many missionaries derided him, but Hudson Taylor had fought through the essentials of the gospel, and he decided this was appropriate. You have the Word of God and the Spirit of God to guide you in these matters. Paul said, to win the Jews, I became Jew. Paul said, to win the Gentiles, I became Gentile. John Leonard DeBear and David Nitchman said, to win the slaves, we become slaves. Hudson Taylor said, to win the Chinese, I become Chinese. Historians tell us that Hudson Taylor, this is how he contextualized, was himself devoted to learning several Chinese languages and dialects. He was proficient enough to preach in many of them, translated the New Testament into one of them, and he said, echoing echoing Paul's teaching of, of flexibility but faithful, faithful flexibility, echoing Paul's faithful flexibility, he said, let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese. All missionaries must rightly contextualize in everything not sinful become like the Chinese. We will have missionaries from our church. Some of these young ones will grow up And God will send them to the field. And they will have to work this out. We contextualize in a way that is accessible and appropriate for people. John Piper helps us. He says this so well, I I had to read it. He's speaking to missionaries and and he says, I quote, Christians are always embedded in human culture and always at odds with human culture. Even our own. So when we cross culture in missions, we find ourselves adapting to culture and challenging culture. Always, everywhere. We are never at home in any fallen human culture because our citizenship is in heaven. Yet, we are always at home 
because our Father owns the world and we will inherit all of it. As missionaries, he says, we leave as aliens, we arrive as aliens. We leave as aliens and we arrive as aliens, yet we leave what belongs to our Father and we go to what belongs to our Father. You found ways to be Christian in your home culture as an alien. Can you imagine missionaries about to go to the field and him saying this? You found ways to be a Christian in your home culture as an alien. You will find ways to be Christian in your new culture as an alien. End quote. And we should be praying for our missionaries. That they would be guided by the scripture and the spirit to make right decisions in these areas of contextualization. Sometimes missionaries fail to do this properly. They don't contextualize enough or they do it too much. In not contextualizing enough, they may live above the means of the natives. They may fail to learn the language. It's like 101. They may, they may make little American churches over there duplicate everything to the T of what they find over here. On the over-contextualization side, I was talking to one of our pastors. He mentioned how in, in some Muslim cultures, they over-contextualize by referring to themselves as Christian Muslims. <laughs> Which you cannot do. All right, from the mission field back to the home front. Why does FFC need this text? Why does FFC need this text? We need this text because we need this passion that Paul possesses for the lost. May this evangelism training seminar from Paul make us as a church more evangelistic. May the fruit of this study result in the salvation of souls so that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. The Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon wrote a book entitled The Soul Winner. He believed soul winning was essential to the life and vibrancy of the church. He got that from Paul. This is an evangelistic imperative. We must act on this. Do you want to see people saved? Do you long to see the lost found and the dead live? The church is not to retreat into our safe enclave. We go to Corinth. We go to the West Indies. We go to China. We go to Clarksville. We go to Hopkinsville. The elders of this church guard against us being so isolated that no one can get in and we hardly ever get out. We are not keepers of the aquarium. We are to be fishers of men. We don't want to be great theologians, but bad missionaries. We want to be like Paul and excel at both. This is not a mandate to simply make more Baptists. It's not going to all the world and make more reformed. The purpose of this is not to swell our tribe. The purpose of this is not to build our church. Many pastors have one goal in teaching on evangelism, and that is simply to increase their Sunday morning numbers. 
not the goal, friend. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is not concerned with just having the right doctrine. He wants to get that doctrine to people. He exclaims, I want to win people, all kinds of people, so that I may be a sharer with them in the blessings of the gospel. We can revel in the gospel together. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He is fired up. He is on the hunt that I might save some. That I might save some. That is not how a good Calvinist talks. Isn't this the same Paul that taught us election, predestination, and God has chosen us from the foundation of the world? Has Paul forgotten that God is in control? Nope. Paul's view of election and predestination propelled him to the mission field. It did not make him less evangelistic. It made him more evangelistic. Paul's view of election and predestination propelled him to the mission field. Just like it's going to do many of our young ones here. It did not make him less evangelistic. It made him more evangelistic. The most evangelistic people I've ever met believe in election and predestination. The greatest missionaries that's ever existed. If there's books about them and you've read them, you can bet they believed in these doctrines. These doctrines do not make us the frozen chosen. They make us red, hot, flaming evangelists. Paul, what are your plans? Well, I plan to win as many people to Christ as I can. You win them? Are you sure you want to phrase it like that, Paul? You bet your life I do. Paul, don't you know that God converts souls? Of course I do. And that soul needs me to bring him or her the gospel. Paul is talking about the joy of being the instrument in the hand of the Holy Spirit at the new birth of a Christian. He's the midwife at the spiritual birth of a baby Christian. That's what Paul is talking about. You thought I was finished. I'm not finished. <laughs> the soul winner is willing to be a slave. The soul, the soul winner is willing to become a slave. The soul winner is willing to become a chameleon. The soul winner is willing to become a runner. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Paul is going to use two athletic metaphors. He will tap into something deep into their society. The games. Athletic imagery would, would easily, would readily connect with the Corinthians. They have all been to the games. The Olympics were held 10 miles from Corinth and held every four years. The Isthmian Games were held every two years and that took place in Corinth. The church was well aware of these athletes. The games usually held six events. Wrestling, jumping, javelin and discus throwing, and the two events that Paul mentions. All of this provides the background. Paul takes the games... And he taught the Christians to transpose them onto a different level. 
He will use the athletic events to illustrate the zeal with which you should go after winning souls. A, a running track was a parallelogram about 200 yards long and 30 yards wide. Lots of runners, but only one wins the prize. Paul tells the Corinthians, run like a prize winner. Not like a straggler, not like a wanderer. Don't be casual, indifferent, or lackadaisical in your pursuit of souls. The point is here, you run the way a winner runs. Run as if others' souls depend on it. He, he attests, from the moment the starter's pistol fired till I broke through the tape on the other end, I ran after souls. I didn't want a participation trophy. By the way, those didn't exist then. I know all your kids get them now. They didn't exist then. Verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Paul desires for the Corinthians to emulate the athlete's famed self-control. Rigorous training was required for such success. Whatever luxuries they had to give up, they did. D.A. Carson said that these runners had to abstain from wine, meat, and sexual intercourse for the previous 10 months. The athlete wants to stay up late and eat a milkshake, but he wants the prize more. His desire to eat chocolate is subordinated. He wants the prize. He, he's not mastered by the appetites, the impulse, the cravings. One passion masters all the rest. Because you want the prize, everything else is under control. Is there a particular area in your life where you need to pursue greater self-discipline? Self-discipline is the ability to recognize and always choose the more important thing over the most urgent thing. Always choose the more important thing over the most urgent thing. The strenuous self-denial of an athlete should be modeled in the church. Paul speaks of the discipline required to maintain a witness in the world. This is what Paul possessed. Hudson Taylor possessed this. John Leonard DeBear and David Nitchman all possessed this. The Olympic athletes referred to in our text went through all that torturous training to receive not a gold medal, but a perishable wreath. A garland of greenery which lasted for only a few days. It literally faded. You can't put it away and look at it 10 years later. The foliage shrivels, the leaves disintegrate, the, the beauty fades, the wreath fell apart. It's a perishable prize, wilted greenery. And yet athletes devoted themselves to winning that prize. Paul introduces to the church at Corinth a reward for the soul winner. It's gold and imperishable. Our crown will not wither or fade. It doesn't wilt or break down. It's the soul winner's crown. Paul told the church at Philippi, you are my joy and crown. See the comparison? Fades, never fades. Corruptible crown, incorruptible crown. 
No one runs this race perfectly, but we all must run it. Correction. One did run this race perfectly. He won the race. And at the end received a crown. Not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. We get the crown his running earned. Verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. Let's pause here. Aimless running is not part of an evangelist. Don't run like someone who just came for the t-shirt. Give evangelism 100% of your effort. Let your running be purposeful. Have a plan. Have a goal. The goal is not just to finish. The goal is to win people to Christ. Two athletes, a runner, now a boxer. Notice verse 26b. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, I'm not shadow boxing in a corner when there's a, a fight in the ring waiting for me. I'm not just working up a sweat. I'm engaged in a real battle. He's a bruiser in a bare-knuckle fight. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Let's pause there. The body must be held in check if they are going to win. These boxers put themselves through strict training, a strict training regime. They put their body in subjection. Paul says, I put my body in subjection for the mission of winning souls. This requires endurance and self-denial. It is to be pursued with intensity and rigor. The word discipline, I discipline myself, means to strike under the eye, to give yourself a black eye. Paul works his body over, pummels it black and blue, making it a slave in order that he will win the prize. This is not... This is not saying there's holiness and self-abuse or holiness and self-harm. He's saying, I am willing to beat my bodily appetites into submission if it means I can more effectively win people to Christ. Verse 27b, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. After starting churches all over the known world, after running so well for so long, after winning so many people to Christ, Paul still feared being disqualified. One pastor said that in the Isthmian Games, competitors were actually required to swear an oath that they could commit themselves to the very specific set of training requirements, which if they failed to meet those requirements would disqualify them from the competition. This is the same word used for disqualification from the games. Paul does not want to be disqualified from the race and sent away in shame like, he's a, like he was a runner guilty of unlawful steroids. Now, don't get the wrong idea about this verse. Paul is not on a discourse on the security of the believer. He's not saying a believer can lose his salvation. The runner did not lose his citizenship when he was disqualified. Only the opportunity to win the prize. Paul never feared he would lose his salvation, but rather lose his reward. Paul 
Hudson Taylor, John Leonard DeBear, and David Nitschman all ran until they crossed the finish line. They ran in different countries, but ran for the same lamb. Don't presume upon God's grace that you can stop striving and be fine. You have not crossed the finish line. Are you coasting to the finish? Are you trying to complete the home stretch of your race by taking it easy? Are you still running so as to win the prize or have you slackened the pace? You know if you've slackened the pace because the Holy Spirit right now is testifying to that. See, you need not only the agility to go in, flexibility. You need not only the agility to go in, but you need the discipline to stay in. That's what both missionaries need and church members. The agility to go in and the discipline to stay in. Now, a couple closing applications. While evangelizing, don't think the results rest solely on your delivery. While evangelizing, don't think the results rest solely on your delivery. Someone said, evangelism is two very nervous people talking to one another. (laughs) Most are terrified when doing this. Here's what can happen. You can share Christ. You see them not listening. Then self-doubt creeps in you. Oh, they're not listening because... They're not listening because of me. I'm the reason they're not listening. The more evangelism is about you, the less evangelistic you will be. Get over yourself. You can give the best presentation of the gospel and the people will laugh and not listen. You can give a stumbling presentation of the gospel and people will mourn and repent. Why? Because God is working. This was the sum to which you were to win. Your withholding the gospel in witness reveals more about your view of God than your insecurities. Charles Spurgeon used to say, you do not believe God will bless your efforts and therefore you make none. This passage is a command to evangelize and a promise that God will bless your efforts. Some churches, many of you, you came here from those. Some churches have abused evangelism and used manipulative tactics. That's disgusting. But don't let that discourage you. You present the gospel with integrity. Final application. How will you contextualize, how will you contextualize to reach your coworkers, your neighborhood, and your city? Are you older? How are you going to flex and bend to reach the younger? They say, I'm not flexing or bending at all. I'm too old to bend. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. These aren't tricks. These are gospel changes you are willing to make to reach the lost. If you are younger, how are you going to flex to reach the older? 
And this is where you're thinking, finally. Walk it out for us, Kyle. Every scenario, where to bend and where not to bend, 20 examples of places we need to flex. No. I can't for one. And two, you have the word of God and the spirit of God. You are not parents of me. You can think through these situations and scenarios. Who is going to hear the gospel from you this week? Brother, sister, beloved, do something for Jesus. Do not talk about it. Do it. Words are leaves. Actions are fruits. Father, as our people go into their subdivisions, their neighborhoods, their extended family gatherings, their place of business, their times of golfing and fishing and shopping, help them to run well with the gospel. To be gospel carriers. To be faithful in their witness. To learn the lesson of adaptability. To know where to flex and bend that they might win some for Christ. Now, Father, I'm not ignorant. This church is not ignorant. Father, we realize evangelism is not ultimate because evangelism is not eternal. The day is coming when evangelism will no longer be needed. Evangelism is not ultimate. Worship is. So help us to get busy while time allows to win worshipers around your throne. This is our plea. Amen.